as I was preparing for uh, this Christmas message, I realized something that in my walk and all the times that I've read the Bible, all the Christmases I've, uh, I've gone through and celebrated, I've never actually read the entire account of the birth of Christ. Just like in one sitting, just gone through and really read it and see like all the things that were surrounding it, the things that were the answered uh, prophecies and things like that. And as I was preparing this week, it's like, yo, Lord, what would you have me teach? Because there's, there's many uh, texts that we can go to. You know, the most uh, famous is the Luke text, but there's many texts that we can go to in the Bible that talk about uh, Christ's uh, birth on this earth. But as I was just praying about it, like, Lord, what would you, ha- what would you have me uh, teach this morning as we celebrate Christmas for the very first time uh, as a church of OCCF? And as I was just like, you know what? I never have read the whole account just in one sitting, just gone through the whole thing. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to try it. And so I sat down and I read the account. And I'll be honest with you, I was like, I was like choking back tears as I was reading it. Because it's like the, like the fullness of the weight of what happened, what happened that evening when Christ was born in a manger. It, it really hit me. And the Lord's like, Brian, I think I gave you my answer. And so this morning, it'll be uh, very little of me, in fact. Uh, but I, I want to just read out loud as the first Christmas service that we celebrate here as Orange County Christian Fellowship. I want to read the account of Christ's birth in this world, the things that were surrounding it, and even some of the prophecies that were pointing to it. Um, I was actually having a conversation with uh, a gentleman last night, and he is a brand new Christian. He, he never said the sinner's prayer or anything like that, but his heart was surrendered to the Lord. And as I was talking to him, as the questions he was asking and things like that, like, like you could just so discern, it's like, you know, this is a new creation. Because I, I, I've talked to him before, I knew him before, and very different. A very different man, a very different spirit in him. And I was just talking to him, and he's like, you know, one of the questions he had is, how do you know that the Bible is true? How do you know that these things aren't just fables and fairy tales? And one of the answers that I had for him is like, you know, God says that he will prove himself. He will prove that this is his word by answering things, by saying the things that are going to happen in the future before they happen. He's going he's gonna to say them now, and they will be fulfilled in the future. And one of the, it's actually the very earliest prophecies is speaking of the coming of Messiah. And there's many others that flesh out that prophecy and who he would be and what he would do and why he would come. But the very first prophecy happens in Genesis. So those of you who, would, uh, who brought your Bibles this morning, go ahead and turn to Genesis. And we are going to actually go to the very, very beginning. And we're going to go to Genesis chapter 2. Oh, that's right. The kids, you can be excused. <laughs> of course, if they stay, it's good. You know, it's fine, too. It's all good. But if they, if they want to go, that's good. That's right. The music's done. It's time to go play. Thanks, guys. The, the Dean family is, uh, they travel to Oregon, so they're all there. And then my girls are all sick. And so it's like our, our huge uh, regular choir that's right here is, is a little bit lacking today. But that's okay. That's okay. So anyway, so we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 2. And uh, we're going to come into at verse 15. And what's going on right here, this goes all the way back to the very beginning 
where God created the heavens and the earth. He created all the animals, all the plants, the birds, the fish, everything. And then he created Adam. And then from Adam, he, uh, he created Eve. And very shortly after that, we don't know exactly how long, but very shortly after that, uh, Adam and Eve sinned. And uh, the curse was put upon it, upon Adam, upon Eve, upon the earth, and upon Satan himself. And the very, 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 very first prophecy of Messiah comes in the pronouncement of the curse against Satan. And so we're actually going to start right there. I know it seems like an unusual place to start on Christmas, but uh, we're going to start right in in the curse. <laughs> because within, even within God's judgment, there is always grace. There's always mercy. It's always mingled there with it. The two are very rarely uh, separate from one another. So in verse 15, he says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman. That's Enmity means deep-seated hatred. And between your seed and her seed, and he, and notice it's capitalized in your Bible, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That is literally the very, very first prophecy of Messiah. Basically, Satan came in and he, he basically took control. He, he uh, diverted the authority, the dominion that was given to Adam and Eve, and it was placed upon himself now. And God is saying as he's cursing Satan, he says, you know what? There's going to be a war between you and uh, the woman's seed. And the woman's seed is speaking of Messiah. And he says, and he shall bruise, and you could even use the word crush. He shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. And you think about a snake. What, what do you do on a snake? Uh, it's the act of literally killing the snake, destroying it. But it was going to harm he who did it. It was going to harm the Messiah as well. Uh, from there, there's many other prophecies. Go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter 7. And there, there, are, there are other messianic prophecies uh, before this one, but I'm just kind of giving you a, a small sampling of, uh, that are pertaining directly to the coming of Christ. So in chapter 7, verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Curds and honey he shall eat. And he may, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. Uh, Emmanuel, as many of you know, means God with us. It's, it, this prophecy is saying, number one, you will know the Messiah when he comes because he will not be born in the regular manner. He will come uh, born of a virgin. And not only that, but he's not just an ordinary man. He's not just an ordinary person. He is literally God with us. He is the incarnate God, God becoming a man. And then if you just turn it probably like a page over uh, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And here again is a prophecy that uh, God gave to the prophet Isaiah saying, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful. Counselor, now notice this, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David, now that is a man's throne, and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Notice who he is. It says, for unto us a child is born, a, a, a man, a child Unto us, but it's not just any child, a son is given. 
the Son of God himself. And you think, well, wow. And his name is Wonderful. This is how you will know him. Here's his characteristics. This is who he is. He's wonderful. He's counselor. And then here's the moment where it trips up a lot of people. People who say, no, 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 no. Jesus was just a good man. Jesus, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't God, no. But yet within, the, within this prophecy, speaking of the Messiah, it says that he is mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And notice that it says that he's going to sit upon the throne of David. That is a man's throne. But it's not just, like a, a, it's not just a term. It's not just a short-term uh, thing that happens. He says forevermore. Talking about his immortality, that he will stay on it forever. And he continues on. These are the prophecies that the Jewish people knew. And there, there is many others. There are some spe- specifically talking about exactly the day that Messiah would present himself to Israel. That's Daniel chapter 9. And we have other ones like that. But just so you guys understand, the Jewish people were waiting for their Messiah. From, ver- from the very beginning, when Adam and Eve sinned, right? Remember, they walked with perfect unity with God. They walked in the garden with their God, with their Savior. They saw him face to face. They heard his voice, right? They were probably able to kiss his cheek. They were with their God. And from the time that sin entered the world and that separation from God happened, the rest of the Bible, all the way through until literally the birth of Christ, and then finally when it's culminated at the very end of Revelation, is the story of redemption, of God finding a way, making a way. It's not that he found a way, he already knew, but he was making a way to redeem man back to himself, that he may once again walk in the garden face to face, that we may hear his voice, that we may touch him once again. And as we turn to Luke now, as we turn to Luke, we come to the very moment in history where God, once again, who God who withdrew from this world is now entering back into it once again. And it is, a, it is an amazing thing. It is the thing that all creation was groaning for, all creation was longing for, all creation was waiting for. And the Jewish people, with all their prophecies, they, they were expecting it. You know, every time they, they would have a Passover, it's like, you know, next year Messiah, next year Messiah. You know, he's coming, he's coming. And, you know, they, they, they would make a place for Messiah and also for Elijah because Elijah is supposed to come first. And so they, they would have everything. There was this expectation, a yearning. Now, can you imagine being not only from the time you were an infant all the way until you were a grown adult? Can you imagine not only that, but your people's history, your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, your great-great-grandparents, as far back as you can remember for literally thousands of years, waiting and longing for this one thing. Can you imagine the, like, you know, when you're a kid or if you have children, think, think about your kids at, at Christmas. And they're like, Daddy, every, every day now, my girls wake up, Daddy, how many more days till Christmas? How many days till Christmas? It's like, okay, seven more days, six more days. Here we come. It's, it's almost here. That's just an anticipation for presents and things like that. But imagine a people that their prophets would literally say, Lord, we know because for us, it's very difficult for us to accept like God judging us and things like that. We don't like that concept. People will say, you know, I don't believe in a, in a God that judges. No, I believe in a God of peace and love and mercy. And yet the Jews, if you read some of their Psalms, Lamentations, you know, Jeremiah, 
the Jews would say, Lord, we know you did this. You literally destroyed our, our people. You literally, you know, you wiped us out. You, you destroyed our city. You destroyed the temple because of our sin, because of our wickedness, because of our depravity. They were a people who were acquainted with their own sin. And so their longing for this Messiah wasn't just like longing for a Christmas. It was like, woohoo, I get a new you know, scarf or something. I get a new toy, a new thing like that. It was like, no, they were longing for the time when they would be redeemed. When their sin would once and for all be taken away from them. That the blood of bulls and goats and things like that, the sacrificial system of the Levitical priesthood could not do. That's what they were longing for. And that is what happens in this text. So uh, Luke chapter 1. We're going to start all the way at the very beginning uh, in verse 5. Because this is, this is the, the things that happened. These were the events that were ordered before the coming of Messiah, before he came into this world. And so it plays a part in his nativity. And so we will begin there. Verse 5. <clears throat> there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was the daughters of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God, in the order of his division, and according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the, door, at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to their Lord, their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was as soon as the days of his service were completed that he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. 
But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this uh, now the sixth month for her who is called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. Now Elizabeth's full time had came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth the son, When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. His mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. But they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father that he would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, Uh, saying, His name is John. So they all marveled. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, praising God. Then fear came on all who dwelt around them, and all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Now his his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, speaking of Messiah. 
as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. Chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, every one to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem to see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen them, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple 
And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all the peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Israel. Go ahead and turn to Matthew now. Chapter 2. Now, we're not sure exactly how much time passed between uh, that last verse and this. Uh, by what we read in the scriptures, approximately a year to two years has passed. They're still uh, in Judea. They have not returned to Nazareth at this point. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt. And stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in its uh, districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. 
Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Have you ever heard the story in its fullness? When you just when you see the, the answer, the, the fulfillment of the prophecies, you see the prayers, you see the praises of the people. Can you imagine uh, Simeon, you know, who, who was told, you're not going to die before you see the Messiah. And that moment when he looked upon Jesus. And can you imagine just like the fluttering in his heart? Can you imagine how, he, how his heart would start to race with excitement and joy and to go and literally to take up the child in his arms? He's literally holding God in his arms. Can you imagine? It's incredible. And then you have this woman, who uh, Anna, who, who was in the, in the temple night and day for like 84 years praying and fasting and just like spending her time there in the presence of God to be praying and worshiping the Lord always. But then to see the fulfillment of her prayers, the, you know, what the shadow of her prayers was in the flesh and to see the fullness of it. Incredible, isn't it? And so as I was looking upon these things, I, I was interested on who the Lord revealed himself to because this is the time this is the time, this is the moment in history that all of the human race and specifically all of Israel was waiting for. The day Messiah would come. This great gift, this great promise that was spoken of all the way back at the very beginning, at the fall itself. And here it comes, here it comes, it's coming, it's drawing near through the prophet Daniel. It's coming, it's 490 years away now. It's coming, it's getting closer. And prophecy after prophecy, it was, it was approaching. It was getting closer and closer and closer. And then the time, just about 30 years out, it's like, okay, he should be here anytime. It's coming. And a, and a child is born. This, the, the true Christmas present, the gift, the promise fulfilled. And who did God reveal himself to? Who did he reveal himself to? If you take just the, gra- the grammatical structure of all this, there is, you know, you talk about, okay, shepherds in a, in a flock. Usually, you know, a, a shepherd, if it's a small flock, one shepherd can, will do. If it's a larger flock, usually about three shepherds, right? So you've got okay, three shepherds, and then you've got uh, Joseph and Mary, and then you've got, eventually, you've got, like, the wise men. There's another three. There's eight, right? And then you've got um, two more guys. You know, Simeon and Anna. So you have about 10 people. 10 people. Oh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they knew, but they weren't there, they weren't there in Jerusalem when Messiah was born. They, but they did hear them, you're right. They were there, they knew. So 12 people. You think, wow, 
Now, you could count John, too, 13. He's in the womb, right? He leapt for joy when he, when he heard uh, Mary's voice. But you think of a, a population of... The, the population of the ancient world was very similar, actually, to the population of today, probably between 3 to 5 billion people. And God revealed himself to around approximately 13 people. 13 people. The greatest day in history... And 13 people were there. 13 people heard the voice of their Lord. 13 people were ready for the advent of Christ. That's amazing, isn't it? It's not the first time that happened. You guys know of the story of Noah's Ark, right? It says eight souls were saved from the deluge, from the great flood. Noah preached for 120 years as he built the ark. Eight days he sat inside or seven days he sat inside the ark with the door open all the animals are inside the floods not the, the ark is finished the animals are inside no and his family are inside the ark the door is wide open salvation is available to all who would come none came and the lord himself closed the door and grace ended and the judgment came and now we have a morning, an evening, whenever he was born. Probably in the evening, think about the stars. and the, Yeah, the, the, the shepherds were watching their flocks by night. Sometime either early, early morning when it was still dark or late in the evening. The Messiah came. The Messiah was born. And there were only a few people who heard it. There was Joseph and Mary. Now, Joseph, we, as we read the text, we saw that he was um, of the lineage of David. Uh, that doesn't tell quite the whole story. In fact, he is actually the true king of Israel. Not, not everybody recognizes that. Joseph is actually of the line of kings, and he is a peasant king. He is a king because, remember, the, the kingship had been taken away, had been destroyed. And actually, Solomon's line had been who, who, David, or who jo- Joseph is a part of was cursed. God said, even though you're the kingly line, no more. You will have no more kings sit on the throne. Mary is also of the line of David, but not through Solomon. And so she is not cursed. So... Joseph legally is the king of Israel at that day. So Jesus, as the adopted son of Joseph, would rightfully be king of Judah, of Israel. And then not only that, but now you have the blood curse that God put on there. Jesus is also, because now Jesus is not the blood relative of uh, Joseph, so he is not bound by the curse. But he is a blood relative of Mary, who is around the curse and is not part of the blood curse. And so he's still related to David. So she can, he can sit on David's throne. He can be of the stem of Jesse with completely bypassing the curse. So you have Joseph and Mary, the peasant king. And we know that they're very poor because when they went to uh, offer the sacrifice uh, for Jesus, uh, being the firstborn male, uh, they offered two turtle doves. And the law made provision for the absolute, the object poor, he said, the, the very poorest of my people, instead of offering a lamb or a bull or anything like that, they can offer two turtle doves because they're, they cost about a penny in that day. And so that's what Joseph and Mary offered. So we know that the first people that the Messiah was revealed to are the poor. But now notice that Joseph and Mary were devout. They weren't just like, you know, like sometimes you see uh, homeless people that are like, they're drug addicts and, and they're drunk and things like that. That's not Mary and Joseph. That's, when you think of poor, that's not them. 
they were devout. They loved the Lord. They they went to uh, the they went to their um, uh, not the tabernacle. They went to the temple as often as they could. But they were they were devoutly religious. You know, they followed their God. They served their God. But they were poor, and so God revealed Himself to the poor, and He was even born of the poor, that He might know us. What that prophecy in Isaiah declared, and so. So the first two, God revealed himself to the poor. But then you also have the shepherds. And uh, the shepherds in that day were literally considered as outcasts. They were uh, considered ruffians. They were considered, you know, they're not posh. They're not, they're not in the in circle. They were, you know, people were like, keep your children away from them. You know, you're like, no, 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 keep away from them. Those are shepherds. You never know. You know, those people, they spend, they, they're basically homeless. They spend all of their days and nights out under the stars and, just stay away from them. They were outcasts. They were people that, that the general civilization would reject. And so the Messiah was revealed, not to every shepherd, but to a group of shepherds that were watching their flock faithfully. And these outcasts, God said, come. Come see the most glorious gift in all of time and creation. Come and see the Christ. So God revealed himself to the outcast. Then you have Simeon in the temple. Here you have somebody who was waiting for the consolation of Israel. You have a man who was looking for the coming of Christ. He was waiting for it. You know, he'd come to the temple and look, he's, you know, he's watching. And then even through the Holy Spirit, he was told, you will not die until your eyes have seen the Messiah. Can you imagine the joy in his heart? Can you imagine that? I'm going to see the Messiah. And he was watching and he was waiting. He was looking. So Christ was revealed to those who were waiting for him. And then finally you had Anna. Anna sitting uh, at the temple every single day, every single night in prayer and in fasting. And you can't, you can't dedicate that kind of time to the Lord unless what? You truly loved him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind and all of your strength. And so the Christ was revealed to those who loved God. Pretty amazing, huh? When you, when you think about all of the population, you think of all the people in the world, and Christ was revealed to the poor, to the outcast, to those who were waiting for him, those who loved him. A year passes, maybe two, and in, enter the wise men. The Magi. These are the very same Magi that, remember uh, Daniel the prophet, uh, when he was in Babylon, he became the head of the order, and they were really angry about it. They're the ones who, like, set him up and put him into, like, cast him into the lion's den, the whole bit. Those are the Magi. These are the very same people. This is of that very same line. These are literally descendants of those very people. And they knew to be looking for the Messiah. Somehow, someway, maybe, maybe Daniel had some other prophecy that, that he passed down that wasn't considered scripture, but they had, they were waiting for it because they were looking and they were watching and they were waiting. And when they saw his star in the heaven, they came, they began their journey. And so here's, here's another aspect. They came and what did they do? They brought gifts and they worshiped him. And so the Christ was revealed to those who worshiped the Lord. 
The, the Christ was revealed to those who weren't just a matter of like, give me, give me, give me, 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 give me, give me, give me. But they said, no, let us go. And they're probably, you know, they're in Babylon. And so that is a huge trip in that day. That, I mean, that's a, that's a big deal. And you've got you know, bandits out there on the roads. This isn't like safe travel. And these guys literally get up and they travel. It would take months to reach Jerusalem. And they get there and they don't come to like, to be you know, pampered and things like that, but they come to give their gifts to worship the Christ and to go home. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing how far they would travel to see this baby? They lived in Babylon and they, th- th- nobody has said anything. They, they didn't have angels proclaiming to them. They didn't have anything like that. No dreams, no anything like that. They had a prophecy. They had a prophecy that their descendants had passed down to them. They read the prophecy, they saw its fulfillment, and they went. They rose and they went. And they were exceedingly joyful when they saw and they worshipped the Christ. They worshipped the Messiah. A very small number of people, the poor, the outcast, those who were waiting, those who loved, and those who worshipped. Those whose hearts were ready for the Messiah received him at his coming. Those who were ready received him. He revealed himself to them. But you know, it begs the question, who didn't? Who wasn't there? Because all of Israel was supposed to be waiting. They, They were the keepers of the law, were they not? Who didn't come? Who didn't see that first birthday? Who didn't see that first Christmas? The first Noel? Well, number one, Herod the king. Right? He was so consumed with power and authority. You know, it was actually said of Herod the Great, better to be his pig than his son. Because he killed a bunch of his sons. He killed his wives too. Because he was so jealous and he was always afraid. He was so insecure in his power and his kingship. He was always afraid somebody was going to take it. So he literally would like kill his sons. And so it, it, was, it, was a, it was a common uh, thing that was said around there, better to be his pig than his pets, or than his, uh, than his son. Scary time. And when it says that he was troubled, remember when the Magi came to him? And it said that he was troubled when he heard about this king and said all Jerusalem was troubled with him? Yeah. For a guy who is so insecure about his throne, killing his sons, when, when the threat of a Messiah, a godly king, was to be pronounced... Oh, he's going to turn over that kingdom until he finds that threat and and stamps it out. He was so consumed that he couldn't even see that this was the babe of his own salvation. Yet he rejected it and fought against it. He, He called together the scribes, all the religious leaders and all the priests and said, where is the Christ to be born? And like, oh, we know exactly where it's supposed to be born. Here's the prophecy. And, and they declare it. Did they go? I'm not going to Bethlehem. That's where the peasants are. I am a fancy priest. I shall not dirty and soil myself in their presence. No, 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 no. A manger. <laughs> These guys were the keepers of the law. The lawyers, the scribes, the Pharisees, the priests, the, the Levites. Where were they? This was for them. They were the keepers of the law. Where were they? 
They were too busy about their own uh, greetings in the marketplaces, thinking of how, how they can form their prayers so other people would be impressed about their prayers. They were thinking about how to, like, I got to have the longest tassels to show my holiness. I have to have the biggest phylacteries upon my head. Literally, it, it was actually, like, if you read some of the, some of the uh, ancient writings, like, some of these guys would literally have, like, these heat, like, not just, like, a little box, like, phylacteries usually are, but, like, they would, like, get these big ones and these, for, like, on their hands and on their heads to, like, to show that they're holier than everybody else. They would have these things, you know, they would, they would, you know, make sure like when they gave money into the, into the offering, it's literally like, a, it's called the horn. It would be like this big horn like this that would go down into the, um, where the money would fall into like a chest. And so like when you put a coin in there, it would make noise as it went down. And instead of having like the, the largest like bills possible, so to speak, like the large, like a gold coin, they'd get all pennies and dump their tithe in there with pennies. So it'd make lots of noise. So it'd sound forth the horn, right? It would make all this noise. So people would go, Ooh. Wow, they give a lot. And yet, where were they? They weren't waiting. They weren't washing. They weren't worshiping. Their prayers would go higher, no higher than the ceiling of the, of the room they were in because they were pray, praying to themselves as Jesus taught in his parable. Where were they? They missed it. They missed it. The greatest day in history, and they missed it. They missed it. Guys, we're coming up on the anniversary of the greatest day in history. Are you watching? Are you waiting? Are you worshiping? Is your heart for the Lord? Are you loving Him and seeking Him? Or are you consumed with work? Are you consumed with praises and adoration of people around you? I had to ask myself this very question, and I'm asking you the same question I asked myself. So please don't think I'm somehow out of this. I'm not one of those holy guys who can't go down to Bethlehem. No. I'm a sinner in the need of a Savior. But this Christmas, this is the anniversary of the greatest day in history. If we were there that first Noel, that first Christmas morn, that first Christmas Eve, would the child have been revealed to us? Or would we have missed it? It's an important question. It's an important question. This is the Lord's word. It is simple. And I could have given, I could have given a long sermon on aspects of the, of, of the birth of Christ. But as I sat before the Lord, he said, just read my word. Declare it. This is the simple truth. The Christ prophesied from long ago to save you from your sin. And he came. Just as he promised, God keeps his promises. He came. Will you receive him? There was no room for him in the inn. But is there room for him in your heart? That is the question I leave with you this Christmas. And I pray that your Christmas is as glorious as that first Christmas, full of wonder and joy and excitement
Not over gifts, not over running around and all the busyness and shopping and parking and, oh, you took my spot. Where's my Christmas? I don't get a Christmas bonus this year. What? No. Lord, you sent your son for me. You have been given the greatest Christmas present ever. The Christ who would later come, who would later carry his cross to Calvary, who would later be scourged and mocked and spit upon and crucified for you and for me. You have been given the greatest gift of all eternity, salvation, forgiveness, righteousness. You have been called, if you are in Christ this morning, you have been called a co-heir with Christ. That means you have the same standing as a firstborn son of God. That's pretty incredible if you think about it. It's amazing. So, this Christmas, please make room for the Christ. Please make room for the Lord who saves. And you will be blessed. Don't miss it, I pray. Father, we thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus Christ, into this world. Lord, for giving us your word, Lord, that we can see the account, Lord. And we know there are so many things, not just fulfilled prophecy, Lord, archaeology, all these things, Lord, that declare that your word is true. Lord, we know. We know. We have no excuses. We know that your word and what it declares is truth. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. That you did not ask us to leave our brains at the door, Lord, but you said, come, let us reason with one another. Lord, we do want to be poor in in spirit. Lord, we do want to be considered outcasts from this world, Lord, because we don't accept the things of this world. Lord, we want to be waiting for you, anticipating your arrival, Lord, for you did pray and you did prophesy that you would come again. And so, Lord, we find ourselves in a very similar place as the people of Israel some 2,000 years ago, that we are waiting for the Messiah, only this time his second coming. And so, Lord, we give all glory to you. Lord, turn our hearts towards you. Lord, turn our children's hearts towards you, that we may be full of love, Lord, like Anna. And, Lord, I just pray that you would also stir our hearts, Lord, that we would not be lazy That we wouldn't be like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders, Lord, who wouldn't get up and travel a few miles to Bethlehem. But, Lord, that we would be like those magi who got up at just the appearing of a star in the sky. And that they would travel months across desert in dangerous grounds, Lord, just to worship you, Lord. May we offer all that we have, Lord. May we hold nothing back this Christmas that we may worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, I do pray right now, Lord, that you would bless your people. Lord, that they would hear your voice this Christmas, Lord, that they would know. Lord, I pray that you would speak to them, Lord, that you would be their comfort, their fullness, Lord, that they would be content in you and in you alone. Lord, I pray this blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.